I'm Viola Juda. I'm Anthony Fowler. I'm Will Howell, and this is Not Another Politics Podcast. We have a, a presidential election coming up right around the corner. And anytime we have an election coming up right around the corner, we're always waiting to see if there's going to be any big, juicy news, any gossip, any scandals that come up right before the election. We've been talking all morning about last night's revelation that George W. Bush was arrested for drunk driving back in 1976. With such a po potential political bombshell this late in the race, how is Bush handling this? With just 10 days to go until the election, yet another controversy. On Friday, FBI Director James Comey sent a letter to select congressional leaders announcing that the criminal investigation into Hillary Clinton's private email server has been reopened. People talk about the October surprise. They call it an October surprise. The inevitable arrival of the October surprise. The October surprise, an event that alters the political climate, often aiding one candidate while tripping up the other. And here we are in September, so the October surprise could be right around the corner. And, you know, with unprecedented numbers of people voting by mail and voting early this year, maybe we should actually be thinking about a September surprise. This is an idea that people have that uh, maybe even there are people already who have some juicy details on Trump or Biden and they've been waiting till September, October to release it because that's when it's going to be the most impactful. Uh, I'd be you know, curious to talk today about whether we have any interesting political science research that speaks to October surprises and whether they work and when they work and, and what we should expect. Yeah, Viola, you talked to some people who've written down a, a model that tries to think through the incentives of people to release damaging information about a political opponent. Who'd you talk to? Yes, uh, I spoke to Gabriele Graton, who together with Richard Holden and Anton Kolotilin authored a paper called When to Drop a Bombshell. In a nutshell, they consider the following scenario. Suppose that presidential elections are coming and the current incumbent is running for re-election and you work for the opposition party. And further suppose that you get a piece of information that's on the surface damaging to the incumbent. The question is, when should you reveal it? Should you reveal it immediately or should you wait a little bit longer and perhaps reveal this piece of information just at the end of October, just before the election? If you believe that this piece of information is solid, that it's going to stand up to further scrutiny, then you should reveal it as quickly as possible. On the other hand, if you think that there's something shady about this piece of information, that it looks damaging on the surface, but under further scrutiny is probably going to fall apart, you should wait and reveal it only in the last few weeks before the election. So what they find in the paper is that we are going to have a lot of information coming out just before the election because of the strategic considerations that the opposition party has. But most of this information that's going to come out, it's going to be of low quality. It's going to be information that one can call fake. Given what we found, what voters should believe. Should they actually follow closely all, all these October surprises? Should they be surprised by October surprises? Or should they just ignore them and, and understand that most of them are just not very credible uh, scandals? Hello, Gabriele. Hi, Viola. Great having you here. I have to start by saying that I really love the title of your paper. My when, paper, my, my, the when title to, of my paper, When to when Drop, to a drop bombshell. a Bombshell. Can you start by telling us what you mean by a bombshell? A bombshell. 
Well, we, we're talking here about uh, bombshell, like a journalist would talk about a bombshell. So, for example, when you have uh, the transcript of uh, your president talking to another president and saying something that might sound like is withholding aid in exchange for uh, uh, perhaps investigating the son of another potential candidate, that's kind of a bombshell when that gets on the newspapers and on, on CNN. So... Should I think about a bombshell as a piece of information that's damaging to a particular candidate? Well, it could be. In this case, it's damaging. It could be instead, you know, in favor of a candidate. But the key of a bombshell is that when the bombshell arrives, you don't learn immediately the truth. But from that moment on, every newspaper is going to talk about it. Every pundit is going to comment about it. Every politician is going to comment about it. Maybe you're going to have an impeachment inquiry. Maybe you're going to have hearings on every day from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., talking about this, and slowly you're going to make an opinion about it. You're going to learn whether it was true that the president was corrupt or not. So suppose I get access to this transcript. When should I drop the bombshell? Well, that's the point of the paper. It depends on what you believe about this transcript. Were you sitting there, right? You were taking this transcript. You were the, the whistleblower. You know, you know that the actual meaning of the conversation was a quid pro quo. But then you know that slowly this conversation, this social conversation about this transcript will go into the direction of damaging the president. But then if you are an enemy of the president, you want to release this soon so that everybody will learn the truth. We learned that the president was okay, trying. So, so I want to release it as soon as I get it. In that case. Okay. But suppose that instead you know that this was a benign conversation that just may look bad. You're still an enemy of the president, so you would like to use it. But you know that if you let this bombshell boil in the public debate water for long enough, everybody will discover that, you know, it was nothing. You know, maybe the, the Ukrainian president will say, no, you guys are crazy. No, that was perfectly okay. Everything is fine. That, that's interesting. So you're telling us that if we get some accusations, some scandal coming out far before elections, where it's not necessarily immediately consequential, this is probably going to be a true Scandal, this is going to be probably true accusation. Well, if I have a fake accusation, so I'm putting this in the quotation marks, then I'm going to reveal it just before elections, just before some big event. So you're telling me that as a voter, I should expect that accusations that are being cast just before big events are more likely to be false. And that is exactly not only what we predict, but also what we find in the, in the data about US presidential scandals. So we're limiting ourselves to... A president in first term, we need a president that has been accused about a scandal, and we do that using data from Carter onward. And we do exactly observe this in the sense we observe that there is a peak of scandals in just the last few quarters, in particular the last quarter before the, the election. And then when we went and reread the stories of these scandals by uh, looking in the archive of you know the Washington Post, New York Times, from the original first appearance of the scandal onward, we try to trace, is this a scandal that if you had read all these newspapers for the next 15 years, in the end, would you have believed it was a true scandal or a false scandal? And we find exactly that. The peak just before the election is driven completely by false scandals that then later revealed to be fakes, right? While the general distribution during the term of the, the president is driven by both 
uh, true and fake scandals. But the fake ones are the ones that are concentrated at the end, and that's why you have this peak of scandals towards the end of the of the first term. That's interesting. Do you see any trend over time? Do you see any changes in this pattern over time? Your result is related to how quickly people learn about whether an accusation is false or true. And you would think that in the last few years, the technology has changed and we are learning things much faster. There are more newspaper outlets. uh, There's uh, Facebook. People are posting information coming out very quickly. Does your model predict anything related to the to what happens when the speed of learning increases and do you see any interesting patterns in the data related so to that? So this is a very, very interesting question. From a, from an empirical point of view, we cannot do much using that sample, uh, but it's interesting what, you, what you're saying. So in our model, if we can learn things faster, then we would observe fewer scandals because we would observe the same amount of the true scandals and but fewer fake scandals. But I would like to point out two things. One is the technological change also increases the amount of information at all, in the sense you get more scandals, maybe micro-scandals, more information because you have more sources. And so maybe we might end up hearing different versions of the same scandals from different sources because there are simply more or we have more people unco- uncovering uh, different... <laughs> exactly. it's, 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 it's harder to hide But the also, also the other thing is it's not completely clear to me, and I don't think it's clear to our colleagues in general. I don't know if you have an answer to this question. Does the social media uh, model of learning, right, so that we tell each other all this micro-information, does it make us learn faster or it just keeps adding noise so that actually it's harder to learn? Like even for people that do have access to all the newspapers, all the all, all the books, you know, you got privileged position to study, to go to great universities and so on. All these extra little messages that you are observing from your you know, childhood friends that now are posting weird things on Facebook, to me, still, they, they instill a little bit of doubt right now and then, right? I say, whoa, what, what, what if this conspiracy theory guy has suffered? Then, you know, you check it and you discover five minutes later that it was just a conspiracy theory. It makes absolutely no sense, but it makes you lose those five minutes. <laughs> right, so that's fine. That During you, which you, you cannot do your research or read a very or learn the truth you, because you're exactly, you're deviated important. by. Che- yeah. So fact checking yes. means less time checking the truth. Uh, so, so I take it. I take it. Uh, I take your point that it's not obvious that we are learning faster. Uh, but I would like to go back to your point about suppose we are learning faster. What does your model? What does your theory predict? And you said, well, you would predict that we have fewer uh, scandals, which, as you say, we should not expect to see in reality because we also now learn about more misbehavior because we just have more resources to learn about. Uh, it's harder to hide misbehavior. But wouldn't your model predict? that the ratio of fake scandals to true scandals close to the election is actually now higher. Because right now I have this extra incentive. If I'm sitting on the fake accusation, I have this extra incentive to, I still want to reveal it. I still want to get some uh, some boost in the support for my candidate and not the candidate of the opposition. So I still want to reveal this fake accusation against the politician of the opposition. But I'm really afraid of revealing it earlier. So I really want to do it in the well, last if, moment. If I, if I bunch the fake scandals too much in one point, then it means that the voters would discount that moment so, so, so much that is not worth risking it. Okay, so you're basically saying that uh, I'm still going to wait a long time, but I might actually decide not to. My temptation, as the, the the one who wants to throw the fake bombshell, 
is to say, well, let me try to bunch them up all at the at the last minute, right? But then that everybody knows that I that I am bunching them up at the last minute. So last minute news are discounted completely, and all I need to do is to do them either a minute. Just two minutes before. So, so, <laughs> so, so, uh, no, so, 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 uh, so it's interesting. So, what you, what you are telling me is, suppose I have a fake accusation, and I know that it's going to take at most one day for people to figure out. The same as mo- at, at most five days. So, what I want to do is I want to release it at most four days before the election. But what happens is people will say, "Well, why is Viola re- releasing it five days before the election? It must be that actually she didn't have any." good scandal, any any good accusation. She actually had only fake accusation and that's going to harm me. So I'm better off not to say exactly. anything. And if, in fact, if the best thing that the Democrats can get against Trump, which is his phone call with the Ukrainian president, turns out not to be particularly bad, that as a voter, what are you going to think about Trump, right? This The Democrats have been trying to find something bad about Trump for four years and this is the worst they found. Suppose there are two candidates, and the candidate is widely perceived as unfit for office, or there are some rumors that the candidate has misbehaved, has a long history of uh, sexual uh, misbehavior. And there's another candidate that, yes, there are some rumors of misusing uh, private server, but in general is perceived as, as having been in the public eye for a long time, having faced public scrutiny for long. So we expect a lower probability that that there is a true accusation out there. What should we expect so, uh, about the bombshells and the fake bombshells so that are actually, going to actually be dropped? So is, actually is, is not too simple because you have two effects going on here. Suppose that the expectation is that uh, the candidate is, uh, is very corrupt. From the point of view of somebody who wants to damage the candidate, if I have a fake news... I have quite little to gain about, you know, from publishing this news because the, the president or the, the candidate is already perceived as very corrupt. So I, I, have, I cannot damage the, this candidate much more than, than he or she already is damaged. On the other hand, since I know that my news is fake, there is a possibility that it's going to, you know, be revealed as such and then it's going to make the, the, the candidate look a bit better because... Uh, all because if, if, if they really were corrupt, you would have had exactly, a true right? accusation. So okay. that's one direction. That's a strategic story that says if the candidate, if the perception is that the candidate is more corrupt, then we should observe fewer scandals because those that have fake scandals would withhold them instead of publishing them. But on the other hand, if you are more likely to be corrupt, there's going to be more <laughs> a greater abundance of true stories about your corruption. And so that's another effect, which is, purely mechanical, right? So that's actually very interesting. So you're telling me that if we have uh, two candidates, one is perceived as unfit for office and corrupt, this candidate is actually not going to be subject to too many fake scandals, or at least the opposition doesn't have incentives to fake accusations if they are unable to find true accusations, because of course those would be always preferred. But if we we have a candidate who is doing well and who is perceived as clean, then there's a lot of incentive to create fake scandals. So then we should expect this candidate to be subject to more false accusations, which is, I think, something that really puts in perspective all the accusations and all the claims of fake accusations that were made during the uh, 2016 election uh, campaign. So this was this was uh, super interesting. So to kind of frame out our discussion, I think 
we ought to think about three concerns. The first is, Viola, if you could lay out the logic of the model for us so that we get some clarity about what's driving it. If we then can think about some alternative mechanisms, some alternative stories that one might tell that would generate similar kinds of predictions and how we might distinguish those kinds of claims from, from the model. And then third, you know, we've got to turn to 2020 and say, what does all this mean for uh, the run-up to, to this election? So, Viola, maybe you can help us understand the paper a little bit more. Most of the paper is a theoretical model. It's an abstract model that they got together and they wrote this paper where they're thinking purely theoretically about how an October surprise might work. Can you just walk us through the model and how it works? So imagine that there's an incumbent president running for re-election and you are working for the opposition. And suppose you encounter some piece of information that on its surface looks damaging to the candidate. There's some woman that comes forward with allegations of sexual misconduct. So what do you do? If you look at this accusation and you see, wow, under scrutiny, it actually, actually checks out. Once voters learn about the details of this accusation, they are going to believe in it and they are going to hold the incumbent responsible. Then you want to release this information as quickly as possible because you want the media to dig in. You want the media to search for witnesses, interview the witnesses. You want as much information as possible to come out so that, that the voters are really convinced this is a damaging scandal. This is damaging piece of information. But if you dig deeper and you see, well, this accusation falls apart under scrutiny, you don't want to reveal it too early. Because if you do that, media will dig deeper, they will interview the witnesses, and they will conclude, well, this actually doesn't check out. And that's a bad news for you, because not only you didn't damage the candidate, but you also sort of revealed that you didn't have any better scandal, any better accusation against the candidate. So what, what the paper does is the paper thinks, thinks about this scenario very carefully and they conclude that when people get a piece of information that they think checks out, they will reveal it as soon as they get this piece of information. But when they have something that they're suspicious of, they think it looks bad, but under further scrutiny it actually falls apart, they have an incentive to wait until the very day before the election and reveal it then so that people don't have time to learn that that's actually not a true scandal. Are you with me? I'm with you. Yep. All that, right. Yes. The, the interesting thing is that if you just think about this, you would say, okay, if I see something sometime before elections, that must be true. But if I see an accusation just the day before the election, that must be fake. But this cannot be so simple because if this was the behavior of the opposition, then people would know that everything that comes out the day before the election is fake. So you can't really wait until the last day. You have to reveal this fake scandals, these fake accusations, a little bit earlier, but you have these extra incentives to reveal them later than you would the true accusation. When I see the accusations coming out at the, you know, at the beginning of September or the end of August, I should be more inclined to believe that they are actually true. But when I see something being re revealed, you know, let's say in the second part of October, I should be suspicious. They might still be true because it might be that the opposition just encountered this piece of information but they are more likely to be fake. This is really interesting, I think. And maybe for formal modelers who spend a lot of time thinking about Bayesian learning, maybe some of these findings might feel obvious once they're kind of explained to you. But I don't think the, the implications of the model are obvious in the context of presidential elections. I suspect if you polled an average American and said, suppose you did have a juicy piece of dirt on Joe Biden and you really wanted to help Trump get reelected, 
in November, when would you release it? They might say you should really hold on to it and you should release it in October when when voters are likely to be making their decisions and it's likely to have the biggest impact. So, Bill, can you help us understand then it's a week before the election, an accusation is made that then over the course of the next week, there's not enough time to actually verify it. And the voter knows, while there, it's possible somebody truthfully just happened to stumble upon a real scandal, there are all kinds of incentives that lead the people who have fake information to hold on to it and release it so that it isn't subject to this kind of scrutiny. Why should the voter update her beliefs? I think that's a good question for these times that we are living in, in which it seems like it's so easy to fake any accusation. Right. So in the model, there is an accusation that's leveled. Thereafter ensues a learning process. And the learning in the model is one that it isn't that there, it is verified once and for all, but it converges towards the truth. And so I guess my question is, it's a week before the election. I hear an accusation. Why would the accusation have any negative impact on my assessments of the incumbent at all? But there's, there, there need not be a puzzle here. I mean, I don't know what you're getting at exactly, but it might be the case that voters essentially don't. It might be the case that October surprises don't work. In the model, October surprises, essentially, they have a tiny effect on people's beliefs because, like we talked about, it could be that there, there really was some bad scandal that only came to light in October of the presidential election year, but the voter knows the odds of that are pretty low. It's probably not such a big scandal, and so the effects are going to be small. No. That's exactly my, my thought, is that if there are effects, they're likely to be small, both because I'm, I'm more likely to expect fake scandals to occur in October, and then to the extent that any learning follows, it's going to lead me to be less likely to believe in the efficacy of the accusation, in the veracity, excuse me, the veracity of the accusation. To be fair, within their model, any fake accusation is likely to have a small effect, whether it occurs just before the election or very far away from the election. So suppose I make a fake accusation far away from the election. At the moment when I make this accusation, people will think, well, it's probably true because it's far away from the accusation. So I might get some temporary, um, you know, benefits from that, but it's far from the election. But because I make it so, so far from the election, it's extremely likely that voter will learn something by the time of the election. So by the time the election rolls around, the effect of my fake accusation will be minuscule too. So in their model, when I have fake accusation, whether I release it early or late, in expectation, I get exactly the same bump at the election time. But the, but the true accusation that happens long before, which then the voter learns is in fact true, is likely to have a much, a, a much larger effect. And in that sense, the model suggests, ah, no, we shouldn't worry so much about fake news. It's not, yes, it's likely to happen. We're going to see these spikes and they might seem like perversities of the electoral system and pathologies of a democracy, but fear not. The voter is going to recognize the incentives of elected officials to hold on to fake news, and they're going to account for that fact when they think about their own updating, and whatever learning that follows is going to point them towards the truth. Okay, so can we talk about alternative explanations for what might be in play here. Before one reads the model, one would expect we're likely to see a spike in scandals immediately before an election because either that's when people are more likely to pay attention to politics, right? Which is not something that they account for changes in 
Like, you, you want to say it when people are tuned in, and when they're tuned in is right before the election, so that's when you put your information out. And or that scandals have this kind of like a dosage effect associated with scandals, that they have an impact on a campaign, but the impact only lasts for so long, right? And people aren't updating in the way that they characterize in the context of the model. Rather, there are these basic beliefs that one has about a candidate that you can perturb, you can disrupt, but then there's a reversion back to what those basic beliefs are. And so the reason why right, people just love Trump, they love Trump, they're going to love Trump, or they're going to hate Trump, either way, you can nudge that for a week or two, but then there's going to be a reversion back to what those prior beliefs are. So you want to, if you're going to try to nudge it, you want to do it right around when the election's going to occur. Either way, we have, those are very different notions about why you'd want to hold on to information until late into a campaign. And certainly this idea is out there. This is, this is a common idea in political science that voters are myopic. Yes. That they, for whatever reason, they, the, last, the things that happened in the last couple months or even couple weeks are especially salient in voters' minds. And anecdotally, you, you kind of get how it feels that way. I mean, Donald Trump was impeached. No, yeah, right. Historic votes in the House of Representatives mean the shadow of impeachment is now hanging over the Trump presidency forever. Uh, and yet nobody's talking about that right now. <laughs> Could have, it might as well have been a thousand years ago. It doesn't really feel like we're being impeached. <laughs> it's not even, the Ukraine scandal is not even a thing that's on voters' minds anymore. There are so many more, more pressing things that we're thinking about right now when we're deciding who to vote for. Um, and so you kind of understand why people feel that way. But, you know, on the other hand, there's not a ton of evidence that voters are, in fact, myopic, even though this idea is out there. The, the evidence that people typically point to is that the, the economy is a good predictor of election results, and it seems to be especially the election year economy that's especially predictive of election results. And so people say, aha, the voters are just thinking about whatever happened in the election year and not for the entire term, which, you know, maybe that's right. Maybe the voters are myopic in that way. But alternatively, maybe the election year economic growth is actually much more informative about the performance of the president than the first, second, third year economic growth, because of course it takes a little while for the president's policies to kick in and so on. And so whatever I see in the last year is probably the most informative piece of information I have about, are they actually doing a good job? Are their policies actually panning out? And so on. So another thing that's worth pointing out is that it can still be the case that even if most voters aren't thinking about the Ukraine scandal, it has still affected their views about Donald Trump, right? You, you might be a good Bayesian learner and you might be reading the news every week and be constantly updating your beliefs about Donald Trump. Is he competent? Is he not competent? Is he corrupt? Is he not? Is he representing the middle of the country? Is he an extremist, et cetera? You're constantly updating your beliefs. And it's easy to remember, you know, how good of a job do I think Donald Trump is doing? You might forget all of those little signals you got along the way that, that you actually use to update your beliefs. So the impeachment and the Ukraine scandal might have really shifted your beliefs about Trump, even though you're not every day thinking about Ukraine. Anyway, that's just that's just one argument that maybe the voters aren't so irrational after all. I feel like we should have some jingle that we play every time Anthony <laughs> defends the voter. I know, it is true. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Hooray, voter. They're so smart. But, but I think it's, but it's a good point. It's a good point. Because if what, I think what we're accustomed to doing in evaluating the significance of past events for electoral choice is to look at like exit polls, wherein you say, you know, how important was this event or this occurrence for your vote? And that people don't say, well, the impeachment was really important, doesn't mean that the impeachment wasn't important, because it may have led some people, 
it's probably a tiny number of people. But it may have led some people to nonetheless update their views about how corrupt or not Trump is. And even though they can't recall anything about the accusations per se, it nonetheless bore on their uh, ultimate um, choice come election day. One example where something interesting happened was the confirmation hearing about Brett Kavanaugh. At some point in time, uh, Christine uh, Ford came out with accusations of sexual misconduct. For the first time, Ford speaking publicly about an alleged assault more than 30 years ago. She says Brett Kavanaugh and his friend Mark Judge were there. Brett and Mark came into the bedroom and locked the door behind them. And, you know, the scrutiny started, the, the clock started ticking. We had sort of some deadline, maybe it wasn't a firm deadline, but there was in people's mind deadline by which we have to decide whether Brett Kavanaugh would be confirmed or not. Uh, so the scrutiny started and some accusations started coming out that Democrats actually had the testimony of Christine Ford long before they released it, long before they made a public accusation. And in many people's mind, that actually diminished the value of these accusations. I'm really very disappointed in the way our Democratic colleagues withheld this information. I'm very suspicious of how this came out. Because, you know, the inference was the inference that the model, even though it's not formal in the model, the model would, would sort of tell you you should make that. If those people were sitting on this information for week two or three, probably they knew that it won't check out under a lot of scrutiny, so they wanted to reveal it as quickly before the confirmation vote as possible. So should, should we try another one? What do we think about the Access Hollywood tape? Some breaking news about Donald Trump. A decade-old audio tape surfacing late today in which Trump is heard making crude and vulgar comments about women. It's pretty late. It's an October surprise. It's, a, it's on tape. It's pretty damning. Nobody denies the actual veracity of the recording itself. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. But, you know, maybe there's still, you know, there's some additional scrutiny as to, is this really a, a pattern of behavior or was this just a one-off locker room talk thing that, that Trump wants to dismiss it as? What do we think was going on there? Why not? I don't remember what year the tape is from. Maybe some of you remember, but it was from well before 2016. Somebody had the tape available to them and could have released it sooner. Why did they not, if you had to rationalize that? Not, not that we are endorsing the fact that if it was locker room talk, that somehow makes it okay. Like, <laughs> clearly I, not. Yeah, that's a strange... But anyway, yeah. But clearly <laughs> not. But, but you could see that there's sort of this background concern I think it is consistent with the model, which says that facts don't speak for themselves. They don't ever resolve anything. I mean, the accusation alone is insufficient. There needs to be subsequent learning in order to find out. In fact, you know, was it just him, you know, boasting in a way that was crass and crude and, and derogatory? Or was it the kind of thing that somebody who preys on women and sexually abuses them? Um, is it, you know, is it indicative of that kind of behavior? Although here again, I think this is, this is a case where the way that the model characterizes learning may deviate a whole lot from the way that learning happens in the political world. Right? For them, again, with the passage of time, you converge a little bit more towards the truth about the matter. But there are all kinds of reasons to believe that accusations of sexual impropriety and abuse are subject to all kinds of biases and distortions in the investigations that follow. And that the passage of time does not, in fact, necessarily lead towards greater clarity, just the opposite, in fact. One thing worth pointing out, Trump was an unusual candidate. He turned out to be a candidate 
who seems to be immune in some sense to scandals. Uh, so the model has nothing to say about that, I would say. But uh, but, uh, <laughs> but but I think I think. Uh, but but is incredibly unpopular. So he, he's he's very unpopular. But from the start, I would say. That's right. But uh, like his his ratings are pretty stable. But the the small core base of supporters that he has does not appear to be especially sensitive to new scandals about Trump. So can we talk a little bit about what this then means for the coming six, eight weeks leading up to the 2020 election? What, what, what have you learned? I mean, one thing which I, I know to be true is that both parties are bracing for the October surprises of the opposition. And Democrats are terrified that Trump is going to come out with a cure for COVID three days before, I mean, something that he purports to be a cure for COVID three days before the election. We're going to have a, a vaccine very soon, maybe even before a very special date. You know what date I'm talking about? It seems to me like my gut tells me that if Trump announces a week before the election or two weeks before the election, that Trump or FDA announces that they approved a vaccine for COVID, that's going to have a huge impact just by the sheer power of this announcement when taken at face value. We have finally a solution to our problem. And two weeks is not going to be enough for the information to trickle in, whether this is really effective and whether this is, you know, has side effects. In a letter obtained by CBS News, a director of the CDC is calling on all states to have vaccine distribution sites, quote, fully operational by November 1st. That, of course, is just two days before the general election and months before even the most optimistic timeline. Yeah, I don't know whether you have any thoughts about that. My gut tells me that's going to be a big uh, game changer. But why? That would be a big deal. I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. In the world in which Trump just comes out and says, <laughs> hey, there's a vaccine, I've cured, I've cured it, you know, COVID, I've solved the problem. Nobody will take that seriously. Uh, the model would say, of course, Trump is going to say that right before the election. That's not going to be credible. Um, in the world in which the FDA comes out and says, we have a vaccine and we've approved it and we're ready to go, that's fantastic. I sh I think we should all be hoping for that to come as soon as possible. There is obviously some maybe small chance that the FDA is highly politicized and whatnot. It, but I mean, I think I, I, I would give them a little bit more credit than that. I also would want to give the voters a little bit more credit than that. If, in fact, a genuine vaccine is developed before November, I don't think there are going to be a lot of voters that credit Donald Trump for that achievement. I don't think there are going to be a lot of voters to say that was because Donald Trump was so committed and organized and, and, uh, and passionate and devoted money and resources and whatnot that the reason that we have the vaccine was because Donald Trump was president. And if, if Obama or Bush or Kerry or Romney or McCain or any of these other potential people have been president, uh, we wouldn't have. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> the jingle. Do you yes. hear the jingle in the background? <laughs> I don't think there's a single voter who would think um, that Donald Trump is increasing the chances that we get a vaccine or making it faster. Um, so well, there, there, there are some. There are clearly some. But those people are already going to be voting for Trump anyway. They're already locked in. They will attribute all things good and great to this president, just as there are some you know, on the opposite side who will attribute all things awful and devastating to him. Sure. Um, well, that's what they say but, publicly. But do they really? Yeah. Do they really believe it? I don't think it, you know. These people. This exist. is this. Well, there's an open <laughs> question about how many. But there are these. These people yes. are. I think these is people. Any, are, anybody who would believe that Trump accelerated the development of a legitimate vaccine 
is probably that's probably somebody who would have already voted for Trump anyway, regardless of any other evidence. I don't think, you know, yeah. the swing voters are going to be persuaded by that to vote for Trump. That's hard. That's hard to imagine. It's not to say that nothing could change people's minds. I mean, of course, if in fact there is hard evidence that Donald Trump himself went in, you know, went into the laboratory and had this genius breakthrough and 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 discovered the vaccine, you know, that may, maybe that would actually change a lot of people's minds. But we're not gonna we're not gonna find that out. Just like if alternatively there really was a, a breakthrough vaccine, but Donald Trump commanded everyone to keep it quiet um, and and not release it for a few more months because he wanted the pandemic to go on a little bit longer. That would that would probably persuade some people to vote against Donald Trump. But I don't think we're going to get a revelation of that sort. But you, I think you can put the story um, with vaccine within the framework of the paper. You can think, suppose that Donald Trump made up his mind that he's going to approve or he's going to pressure the FDA to approve the vaccine before the election. But suppose that he made up his mind and now he just has to decide when to approve it. You know, if he were just truly uh, interested in the welfare of, of the society, if he thinks that this is going to be approved and no new evidence is going to sway him, he should approve it as quickly as possible. And he's, if he's super confident that actually that's a good decision, he should also do this as quickly as possible. Uh, if he is uncertain actually whether this decision is good for, for, uh, people or whether this vaccine is actually safe and effective, he has an incentive to do it as close to the election as possible because he does not want people to start scrutinizing. Does Donald Trump get to say whether or not the vaccine is approved? I don't understand what we're talking about. He can pressure the FDA. There are a lot of stories in the newspapers right now that, that the FDA is being pressured to... Sure, um, but is he going to... I mean, can he be successful in that? He can try. I, I believe he can. I mean, given the, evi- uh, the, the you know the, the evidence that <laughs> came out during this pandemics on how much uh, federal agencies are being influenced by by the central administration is pretty convincing, at least in my opinion. So I mean, I mean, maybe it's it's certainly possible the FDA is highly politicized and they're going to do whatever Trump asks them to do. I really hope that's not true. I guess I guess that raises another interesting question for you guys. Which, if you believe the FDA is highly politicized, then then the question is. If the FDA approves a vaccine right before the election, does that mean does that mean we shouldn't take that vaccine? And it, whereas if they, you know, the vaccine that's the vaccine that's approved right before the election versus right after the election, do you think is is much more likely to be an unsafe yes. vaccine? Um, right. I mean, to the extent that like the model tells yeah. us, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, again, go mm-hmm. refer back to the model. Mm-hmm. We, we, you you have greater reason to believe the information mm-hmm. is false if it's released right before an election. And mm-hmm. what you're saying is there's this add-on thing, which is that. If you act upon the false information and start taking the pill, it might actually do damage to you. You would do well to hold off and allow for some, just as you shouldn't give much credit to Trump uh, when you actually cast your vote, you should also hold off and allow that um, medical intervention to be properly vetted. So it's interesting because in this example, you're pointing to a possibly huge negative implication of this October surprise. So in the model, as we said, the October surprise does not have a lot of effect on the outcome of the election because people discount this and they know that all the surprises are more likely to be fake than true. But in this case, once people conclude that this uh, vaccine might not be working because this approval was just for political reasons, because they know that Trump had incentive to make this approval to to sort of push for this approval just before the election, that's it. That might actually doom the vaccine for a long time. People might be very reluctant to take it uh, even after the election, and then that might have really dire consequences for our fight with COVID. 
There you go. Yes. There's our doomsday yes. scenario. Yes, <laughs> we always day. have to <laughs> finish on the <laughs> on, on the depressing note. So, what is your what's your bottom line on this paper? I like the paper. I find the argument persuasive, and I find the argument non-intuitive if I just think about the way we talk about scandals and October surprises in presidential elections. And I thought the the quantitative evidence albeit limited, given that there are only so many elections and so many scandals, I found also somewhat persuasive and interesting. It's, it suggested to me that we really should not take these scandals too seriously when they pop up right before the election, and that voters probably don't. Yeah, I'm struck by something similar here, which is that typically papers that are investigating phenomena that aren't subject to sufficient kind of scholarly inquiry, and I think scandals is such a such an example what they'll do is they'll say you know this thing is more important than you thought right they actually breathe life into the phenomenon and underscore its importance and one thing that this paper does they offer an explanation for basic trends that we observe in scandal revelation but the significance of the very phenomenon they seek to explain rapidly disappears subject to the the, the logic and scrutiny that they offer and so you know, you sort of want to call up the Biden folk and say, don't worry, it's not going to, this, this, this is likely to happen, but it's not clear it's going to have a big impact. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I think uh, there's one additional aspect uh, that we can add to this paper that nowadays it's much easier to fake a scandal, to fake an accusation. You don't need to catch the attention of CNN or Fox News. You just need to post it on Facebook. So I think if we, if we added this element to the paper, we would get that this effect of scandals not having a lot of impact in October actually would multiply. Reasonable people will tend to discount whatever they hear a few days before election even more than they would have a few years ago. So that's good. That you know that makes me want to make some popcorn for the next month and a half and <laughs> <laughs> just sit down and relax. <laughs> but it's, of course, not all normatively desirable. I mean, it does mean that if new information really does come out that should influence our positions in October, it's hard to persuade people. It's hard to convince them that they should pay attention to that information because, as you say, there's so many other fake things on Twitter and so on. So, you know, it's not all a rosy story for democracy and for accountability and selection. So and political that, but, activists uh, out there, if you have some piece of information that you know it's going to check out, release it ASAP. Do not wait until October. <laughs> Great, we have some advice today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there we go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Not Another Politics Podcast. Our show is a podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy and is produced by Matt Hodap. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.